I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to the fourth episode of the HR Coffee Time podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. In this episode, I have a great interview for you with Tansel Omer, who is an experienced and highly regarded HR recruiter and one of my friends. He shares his top tips on increasing your chances of securing your next role, how to find a good HR recruiter, what kind of service to expect from them, and how to build a good relationship with them. If we haven't met before, hello, I'm Faye Wallace, a career coach and outplacement specialist and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I've made the HR Coffee Time podcast especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without having to work yourself into the ground. I really hope you enjoy today's episode and that you get a lot from it. And you'll soon find out that one of the things that Tansel touches on is LinkedIn. If for any reason you're nervous about LinkedIn or you know that you have a profile that could be stronger or you're just not really sure how to make the most of it and how to have a great profile, I actually have a LinkedIn course that I created earlier on in the year and I'm so pleased that it's been really successful and has got some great results. It's usually a paid for product that's part of the outplacement services I provide for companies who are making redundancies but in September, I've decided to release it completely free of charge to subscribers to my free HR Coffee Time emails. So if you already get my emails, don't worry, you don't need to do anything at the moment. I'll be in touch with you nearer the time to let you know more about it and how you can access the course if you'd like to. 
but if you don't already receive my emails, I'll put a link to subscribe to them in the show notes, or you can sign up via my website, which is brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. Just head over to the free resources section, click on HR resources, and you'll see there's a button on there that lets you sign up straight away. But that's enough about that for the moment. Let's get on with the main part of the show. So welcome to the show, Tansel. It's so wonderful to have you here. And I know that you're a really experienced HR recruiter and that you're going to be sharing some of your top tips and advice for anyone in HR who's looking for a new role at the moment. But before we get started and you start diving into all that brilliant content, can I just quickly ask you to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Well, firstly, thanks for having me, Faye. Really pleasure to be here. So I'm Tansel Omer and I am the owner and founder of The Talent Place. We are a talent consultancy that offers a variety of services and solutions to primarily the HR community. They include HR recruitment, coaching, psychometric testing and outplacement services. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And what areas do you cover in the UK? So we do have clients that are based around the UK and actually some international clients too, but 90% of the work that we do is really London and Southeast focused. Okay, fab. And is there a particular level of role that you tend to specialise in as far as recruitment's concerned? Yeah, with recruitment, we tend to specialise in the more mid to senior end of the market. So typically sort of 50 to 150k, that's our sweet spot. Okay, that can be really helpful for people to know, I think. And also, it'd be lovely to know a little bit about your journey to where you are now. So how did you decide to set up your own business and go down this path? So um, I first ventured into the exciting world of recruitment, like most people, without intending to do so, about 15 years ago. I worked for a couple of the larger corporate companies in the UK for the first 11 years of that period. And then four years ago, I decided it was the right time for me to set my own business up. And I suppose the main reason for me wanting to do that was, you know, recruitment can be really rewarding, but it's a real roller coaster. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of highs and lows. I'm I'm sure anybody in recruitment will tell you that. But I, I kind of was in a position, quite fortunate, really, where I was able to perhaps remove all the things that I didn't like about recruitment. So they might be I don't know, a lot of business development work. Um, It could be working on multi-agency roles. It could be working with companies that aren't necessarily too engaged in working with you and really focus on, right, you know, we're in a position here where we can work with the clients that we want to in the way that we want to. That is going to give them the best results. It's going to give the candidates the best experience and and the way that we're going to enjoy it the most as well. So that was the philosophy behind, you know, the talent place when we first started. Brilliant. And how long have you had the talent place for now? So it's um, we're about four and a half years in now. So approaching our fifth year in February. Oh, fabulous. So, well, happy birthday for February next year then. We've been in business for a similar amount of time, I think. I first set up five years ago. So just a tiny bit before you. Thank you so much for telling us all that background. It's great to hear it. And obviously, we are in a bit of a strange time at the moment because we're recording this episode when we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic. So it means that the world of work and recruitment has been really different to how it is normally. And I know that as we're talking, it's going to be great to hear some advice that's really relevant for now. But I would love it if you could, if it's possible, to also share some tips that are going to be relevant probably for always for people so that hopefully when we're through this nightmare 
if anyone decides to listen back to this episode, they're still going to be able to take some gems from it and think, oh, this is so helpful for me. I'm looking for a new role. And a lot of these tips are exactly what I need to get my next job. Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, there's obviously a lot that we could share. So I'll probably focus on a few things that I think are probably really helpful, primarily to the HR community, because that's the, that's the area of recruitment that I know the best. But I'm sure some of the principles do apply outside of HR too. So I think look, one of the biggest challenges at the moment, and I wrote a post about this um, a few weeks ago, which I think you actually engaged with as well, Faye, was that there is a, a problem, probably most people would say, with HR job title consistency. And what that's created are a number of issues, particularly when candidates are looking to apply for jobs. So if I give you an example of a HR business partner in vacancy, let's say you're a candidate, you're interested in that type of role, you see it advertised on LinkedIn, but there's no salary attached to it. What that means is, is that that role could be a level from anywhere from 40 to 120K because HR business partner roles mean different things in different organisations. And I have seen candidates on business partner roles on 40 to 50K, and I've seen candidates on business partner roles like 120K. So if you see a role like that advertised on LinkedIn without a salary, what's probably going to happen is, is, is it's going to receive hundreds of applications because people aren't really sure of what level that role sits in. And if you look at the detail of the role, you know, that doesn't always give it away either. So what happens is you might think, oh, that is a perfect role for me, but probably about 300 other people are thinking the same thing too. So that creates a huge amount of applications for that role, which, you know, means that your chances of even, you know, getting shortlisted or longlisted are probably less than 1% based on that, those numbers and ratios. So that's a real frustration for candidates. And, and I think um, clients will, that's a negative impact for clients too, because, you know, they've just posted a role that's received hundreds of applications. They've got to spend a lot of time and they are probably not aware of what the level of the candidate is applying for the role too. And that's just one example with business partnering roles. And I think there's probably other examples too. So I think what advice can I give in those situations? Because I think that is probably the biggest common issue at, at the moment for HR candidates. So firstly, I think if there is a salary attached to the role, that's obviously really helpful. And then they can be more selective in, in terms of, of the roles they recruit for. Secondly, I think if you're able to do a little bit of homework in terms of the business, you might be able to go onto LinkedIn and see how many people are in that HR function, see what positions are already existing in that HR function. It will give you a feel for the structure, the foundation, and then you might be more accurate in terms of being able to understand what level the role is. I always say to people, if it's a role that you really love, and maybe you really love the company, maybe you've got a connection with the company, maybe try and engage with the recruiter or the recruiting line manager directly. That way, instead of being one of 300 candidates, you might be one of five that have called up and straight away you're elevating yourself and differentiating yourself from, from everybody else. So I think, you know, there's a whole range of things that you can do. And, and I'm sure, have you, have you come across this yourself, Faye, in terms of an issue? Yes, absolutely. But even when I worked in HR, because of, mm. of course, before becoming a career coach, my whole career was in HR. And I remember being completely baffled sometimes as to why there were these huge differences. But 
nowadays, I suppose now that I know more about it, I can see a lot of the time it's going to be sector dependent because, of course, there are certain sectors that pay much higher salaries anyway. But definitely, I completely agree with you that there's a lot of confusion. There isn't this sort of gold standard of that all companies have agreed to adhere to of saying, okay, we're going to give everyone at this sort of level with these sorts of responsibilities, this job title in HR, and, you know, this is a realistic salary ban. So it is a bit of a minefield. But what you've just touched on there, which is really about applying for roles directly. So if you've seen a role advertised online or on LinkedIn, going for it. And I guess I'd like to grill you on that a little bit more, because over the past couple of years, in particular, the outplacement side of my business has probably been my busiest service. And as part of that, when I'm speaking to people who are losing their jobs and have to find a new job, I tend to say, okay, let's look at this in three different ways. Normally, the absolute best way of getting your next role, especially if you've been working for a little while and people know you, they like you, they know you're really good at what you do, is to actually tap into your network. Because as both you and I know, a huge number of jobs are never actually advertised. And word of mouth is such a powerful thing. Again, I'm sure that anyone listening to this who works in HR as well and has had to be involved in any form of recruitment for the business that they work for will know that if an employee or a colleague comes to you and says, oh, I know we've got this vacancy coming up. I know someone who's perfect for that role. You are always going to look at that candidate Mm. because, you know, if it's a personal recommendation, it's very likely they're going to be fantastic people don't want to put their necks on the line to recommend someone who isn't going to be fabulous so that's normally my first starting point is to say Mm -hmm. I know it can be a bit scary but start to talk to your network and then the second thing I say is get on the books with some really good recruiters and so of course I always put your name forward Tansel (laughs) if if they're going to be relevant Mm because I know you've got such well you've got such great reputation and I know that you're an absolute joy to work with whether it's from the you know, client side or whether it's from the candidate side, because I think there's huge value in working with really good recruiters, because if they're trying to fill a role for an organisation, you're just going to put forward a selection of people. You're not going to say, oh, okay, organisation, here's 300 applicants for the role. You have to sift through them all. You're going to say, right, these are some people who I think are going to be a really good fit. So if you know a recruiter is putting you forward for a role, I think you can kind of be rest assured that you have a much better shot at it than if you're applying cold directly online. So I don't know if you agree with all of that or if there's anything you want to add to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a lot of the reason why companies will you know, employ an agency to, to work on particular roles. It's to give them a brief and let the recruiter go away, do all of the work, identify the right candidates, not just in experience or level, but also character and and, and culture fit too, Mm. and take all of the pain away, I suppose, and then present the client with, you know, the best or most relevant three, four or five candidates in the marketplace. So, yeah, absolutely. And there'll always be a need for that as well, I think, Um, just because I think particularly in the HR market, for the reasons we talked about with, with direct recruitment, it can be a really long and arduous process. So, yeah, agrees. Yeah. I would do, so, I suppose, being a recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in principle, I know that that all sounds great. Unfortunately, and I hate to say this when I have a recruiter who is very kindly doing this interview, some recruiters do have quite a bad name or a bad mm. reputation. I think the whole industry 
is sort of tarred with the same brush as estate agents, where people will often say, oh, you you know, you can't trust recruiters or they're not going to do a good enough job or they don't really look after you. This is all from a candidate perspective. This isn't from a client perspective. I don't think that if a company is using a recruiter to fill a role, as far as I'm aware, most are always really happy with the service. It's from the candidate perspective that people can feel they're not necessarily having recruiters get back to them or they're not being put forward for roles that they would like to have. And I think that's a whole host of reasons Obviously, in any industry, you're going to have some people who aren't brilliant at their jobs and don't necessarily look after the people that they're working with. However, I think a lot of that is down to a misunderstanding. So I think sometimes candidates think that recruiters have this huge array of roles available and that they're just being really inconsiderate, not putting them forward for it. Or they'll say, but I haven't really heard anything from the recruiter in ages since they put me forward for one role. Why aren't they giving me anything else? So it would be quite good to know, sort of, you know, from your perspective, if someone wanted to engage with you because they're a candidate, they're looking for the next HR role, what is a reasonable expectation of having a relationship, a working relationship with a recruiter, and also maybe give a bit of an insight into the behind the scenes, what it's like from your perspective as to how you do then engage and work with them. Okay, yeah, so quite a lot to consider there. So I'll try and keep it fairly succinct. Sorry, um, I've just given you probably about four questions in one. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> First of all, I I do get that with the candidates and it is a tricky time because I think um, the recruitment market is so saturated. It's so easy for people like me to set up their own businesses that there's hundreds, if not thousands of us doing that now. So I think the problem for candidates is, is that they might see 10 different jobs advertised with recruiters and they're with 10 different people. And and obviously they might have better relationships with some of them. They may trust some more than others and I think it's a real balancing act because it's very difficult for somebody to have amazing relationships with all 10 recruiters that's probably not going to happen there's going to be different levels of relationship you have with each of them but the reality is is that you know you don't necessarily have to deal looking at from the candidate's perspective you don't actually have to deal with that recruiter longer term if it's a permanent role you know they'll get you the job You may put up with them for that period. And once you've got the job, you don't actually have to engage with them anymore beyond that if you don't want to. It's slightly different if you are placed as an interim because they could be your point of contact going forward. So I think for candidates, it's just sort of um, managing each relationship in the way that is going to bring the most effective results to you. But in a way that, you know, hopefully, you know, works both ways, too. So that's the first thing I'd probably say. Now, just thinking about other parts to your opening question. So in terms of how to work best with them, I think, look, obviously there are going to be some recruiters that are more generalist, so they might recruit for lots of different areas. Then there's going to be people like me that just recruit into HR. Then there's going to be recruiters that are even more specific that might just do HR generalist roles within HR, or they might just do recruitment roles within HR, or they might actually work for particular sectors within um, in the industry. They may just recruit into financial services, etc. So I think the more relevant that you can get, the better it is. The other thing I'd probably say is be as clear as possible in terms of what type of role you're looking for when you speak to a recruiter, because 
I often have people that come to me and, you know, they're in their current role. They might be on three months notice. They're tentatively looking at new opportunities. And I ask them that, what does your ideal role look like? And it's, and it can be really vague. And that's, you know, no fault of that person at all. But it's really helpful to a recruiter if you can be as clear as possible. So, you know, if, for example, you know, you want to work with a startup business, that's great. If you can refine the industry a little bit more, even better. If you want to continue working within a particular sector, these are really helpful recruiter because as callous as it might sound, we know what to do with that candidate more. If we don't have a vacancy that's relevant for them at the moment, it might be that, okay, well, if you want to work in the healthcare sector and you've got five years healthcare experience, what I can do is I can actually speculatively put your CV in front of a few of my contacts in that sector. But if you end up saying, oh, I'm not quite sure what I want to do, you know, I want to work for a fintech company in London, that is a huge area, you know, and where do you start? So I think the more specific you can be and more refined in terms of what you ideally want to do, the easier it is for a a recruiter to help you, I suppose. I think that's really good advice because I know a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll say that I'm happy to do almost anything and I'm interested in a whole range of things. And then that means (laughs) that Tansel can consider me for all of these different roles. But actually, in reality, it doesn't really work like that, does it? It's much easier if you can have that laser focus on one type of role that it's going to help you do your job better. Absolutely. And and the thing is, as well, I think sometimes like what you said about not all jobs being visible is so important for mm-hmm. uh, candidates to appreciate. I think what the stats are saying, like only 25 percent of roles are visible. Right. And yeah. Like me, for example, I've got about I think about 15,000 connections on LinkedIn, um, which you'd expect someone with 15 years experience to have. So I'm not trying to sort of say that's an achievement. It's not at all. But um, <laughs> no, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's but, a lot more than I but, have. But the reason I say that is because I have to be very careful with what jobs I post on my LinkedIn profile. I'll often post content around sort of coaching and HR recruitment advice and rather than job specifically, because I know that if I do post a job, then I'm probably going to have hundreds, you know, hundreds of responses, which then become really unmanageable for me. So, yeah, of course, how do you know that they've got the jobs on? Well, sometimes that that can come through your internal network and referrals and things like that, but engaging with the right people. Yeah, so often uh, candidates will come to me because they've heard about a vacancy, but they might be a little bit late in terms of when they engage with me for that one. So that role may have progressed to interview stage, but it's more about then making that contact and establishing that relationship with regard to future roles that might come in. Oh, so you have me lined up now with a whole host of questions. It's so great to hear you talking about all of this. Thank you. It's incredibly helpful. So I think that my first question is, if you don't like advertising roles because you get flooded with yeah, with applicants, mm. how do you actually keep on top of all of your candidates? So all of the people that you think are going to be right for a role or how do you find the people to fill the vacancies that you have? Is it people who have contacted you directly? Is it people in your LinkedIn network? Is it a different method? I would love to know a bit more about that. Yeah, well, it's a combination of things, really. I mean, as you'd expect, I mean, I've got this quite large network. And so some people will always let me know when they're available. Um, So I'll have that pool of candidates to work with. 
I do get referrals quite often. So typically, I'd probably say I get five to 10 referrals a week. And these are people that have heard about us as being HR recruiters and, and are keen to have a chat. So there's that flow of candidates coming through. We may advertise our roles in some other areas. Um, I, I just may not always put them on LinkedIn, just so oh, okay. that we're, we're picking up candidates from outside of our network sometimes. But ultimately, what we tend to do is, you know, we'll, we've got a database of candidates and we'll, we'll do searches, you know. So if you were to tell me that you're recruiting for a head of HR, for example, mm. I've got those different channels that I've just explained to you, but I can still use my LinkedIn recruiter. I can still go through my LinkedIn network. I can do more specific searches for second connections or third connections if required. And it really depends on the the remit from the client. You know, if they are looking, for example, somebody from a competitor and and they've given me eight to 10 clients to target, um, then my focus will be very much proactively looking at those businesses and, and the people within them. And if somebody within my existing network is relevant, then great. But so it, you adapt your approach every time. I mean, I would put some jobs onto LinkedIn every now and again, just because I think it's important to show those people that may not be aware you still are recruiting. And it's important okay. to have that sort of association with the brand and profile. So it's a balancing act. But what I guess the point is that I definitely wouldn't put every job that I'm putting on there. It's so refreshing to hear all of this because I think that to some people, just the whole recruitment process or working with a recruiter, what you actually do is a bit of a mystery or people can often think, oh, it's all just about posting jobs online. So thank you for really explaining that in detail. And then coming back to something that I mentioned earlier, which I feel really bad about saying, is the fact that some recruiters haven't got the best of reputations. But you do have a wonderful reputation. And I know that's for a whole host of reasons. So it would be great to know, what do you think is the difference between a great recruiter and someone who has developed a a less wholesome reputation for themselves? What kind of things do you do? So if the candidate came to you, what kind of service should they be expecting from a recruiter? So, I mean, in terms of what we try and do, if... Like, and, and I can give quite a few examples recently. So I, I've been quite active on LinkedIn sort of in terms of posts and stuff like that recently. And so that has naturally sort of um, encouraged quite a few people to approach me. And some candidates have been from a maybe a, a more junior level than, than what I typically recruit for. So, so for example, just this week, I think I've had two or three calls from HR advisors and you know, what I've always said to them is that I'm probably not the best point of contact for you because I don't tend to typically recruit for these roles, but I will give them a 15 minute call just to give them some advice. And and, and, and so I had this call with a lady yesterday, actually, who was working in the public sector and, and she was looking for some advice in terms of, you know, what her next move should be and how should she go about it. And even though I wasn't, you know, from a recruitment perspective, going to probably be able to find her a next job. I just felt that it was nice just to give her 15 minutes and give her some guidance and, and, and give her some things to work on and consider as a result of that. So so for us, it's kind of like, well, you know, trying to, I guess, help the HR community in, in different ways, whether it's through some of the content that we provide, whether it's through short conversations where we can maybe help some people in a small way to give them a little bit of focus. But it's, 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 so ultimately, I think it all comes down to sort of being very clear and, and, and managing expectations in terms of what we can do and who we can help and how we approach things. And I think 
when it comes to recruiting for roles that we do work on and when we do work with our clients, it's having that transparency um, with the clients and, and the candidates and, and being very clear. And I, and I think because we don't work on multi-agency roles, so we only work on retained and exclusive positions, and because we don't always post things on LinkedIn and don't have hundreds of candidates to sort through, it enables the, the quality of what we do to be better because I'm not going to say wasting our time, but we're not using mm. using all of our time on, on that sort of reactionary stuff. It's more kind of like the quality of the conversations that we have. And what we like to do as well is, is, is offer that sort of um, ongoing coaching support too. So I've just had a couple of situations which have been really exciting, actually. So because of my coaching background and my psychometrics, we've been able to offer Hogan as a solution. And some companies quite like to use this when they get to a final two. So they can have extra data if they want through these personality psychometric testings and, and use that. And actually, just recently, candidates been appointed. There were some development areas that were identified from the Hogan report and the interview process. And actually, we're now coaching that person for the first 90 days of when they start their role in relation to some of the, the gaps that were in the interview process. So we're able to probably differentiate ourselves a little bit from most of our competitors because if there are some gaps in that candidate's background that the client's a bit concerned about, but they still want to appoint that candidate, then we can almost build in a development plan um, from that recruitment process and support them, you know, to ensure that some of those gaps are overcome very quickly. And so is it the client, so the recruiting organisation, who would then pay for you to do that? Or is that something that you offer completely for free? Or is that something that the candidate would pay you for? Yeah, so I mean, all of it is built into the, well, it, there's two different ways of doing this. So often it's kind of pre-agreed and built into the recruitment sort of fee uh, agreement. Sometimes they may decide to bring in the Hogan testing and the coaching options a bit later on. So then that would be an additional fee. But it's certainly something that we offer as a reasonable discount when it's all packaged together. So I remember the very first time that we actually met, it was to talk about coaching and Hogan. And I remember you talking me through it all and how excited you were about it, because you could really see the potential value that it could bring to both the candidates and to the organisation. So it's fantastic to hear that that service is up and running now. Thank you. Well, and, on, and on that, and, and just before you ask your next question, actually, I remember I reached out to you at the time, and there must have been about three years ago or so. And, and the reason that we're, we're sort of connected as well is because... I think I also understand and appreciate that I'm not always going to be the right coach um, for organisations that we work with. And that could be for a number of different reasons. And so part of when I reached out to you and part of what we've done at the Talent Place since is, is to have a coaching partnership network, I suppose, where, you know, when clients say to me that we're looking for a coach or we're looking for a, a coaching solution or an outplacement solution, we have a variety of people and options that we can refer to that organisation. So I think that's probably quite an important point to just make uh, people aware of that, you know, if they come to the talent place, I'm, I'm not the only coach that is the solution. If they don't want to work with me, <laughs> there are other solutions that we can provide too. So um, yeah. I'm sure they'd like to work <laughs> with you. <laughs> and then I've realised I could keep you talking for absolutely hours, but I better not keep you for too much longer because I'm taking up all of your precious time in the morning. So I'll just wrap up with a couple of final questions, if that's okay. And one of them is from the candidate's perspective. So if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, right, okay, I want to get my next HR role. I have found some 
recruiters who specialize in HR roles. And I'm pretty confident that they're going to do a good job because they've come through personal recommendations. What is the best way of them building a good relationship with that recruiter? I know that you said about being very specific about the role that they would like to have ideally. But just as a guide, how often should people be checking in with you, letting you know they're still available, asking for updates? Because I know that's something that people feel very uncomfortable about. They're like, should I be calling the recruiter every week? Should I just leave them alone when I've got my job? Should I just not be in touch with them anymore? Could you give a bit of guidance and advice around that, please? Yeah, so actually, I would I would put this back into the candidates call and ask them to ask that particular recruiter all those mm-hmm. questions, because every recruiter will be very different. I think what the candidate needs to make sure is that that recruiter is somebody worth spending that time with. So making sure that, you know, asking that recruiter, look, am I somebody that, you know, you, you have a chance of placing into one mm-hmm. of your clients at some point? So making sure, just doing that sort of due diligence stuff in terms of, right, is this the right kind of contact that I should be investing my time in? And if so, you know, asking that recruiter, so what do you need from me in terms of so that you can represent me as best as possible and that could be a, a face-to-face meeting hopefully we can do those now it could be a, a zoom it could be a call maybe try and work within the, the recruiters perimeters and actually that will tell you a lot about maybe the quality of the recruiter as well if you have people that aren't interested in investing that time with you then they might not be the best option, but then we go back to a point where maybe they've got a role that you really want uh, to be engaged in. So how can you how can you do that? And, and I think that at that point, you have to show them a, a CV that is strong for that role. You have to follow up with a call and try and have a conversation so that you can try and have that rapport with them. And if they're still not keen to engage with you, then you know, you can look at other options within that recruitment agency, see if there's anybody else that you can talk to, see if there's someone that you know. The other thing that you can do is if you know somebody that knows that recruiter, get an instruction via them, because that may be harder for that recruiter to ignore, because it's come Mm. from somebody that they know. Um, So there are different things that you can do. But I would always push it back to the recruiters and say, look, you know, you've got everything from me now. How would this relationship work best for you? How often do you want me to check in? I know you're busy. I know that you're not going to, you know, give me a call because you've got nothing for me, you know, because we're far, you know, they've got so many people to call and, and, and speak to. It's quite difficult. So just establish with the recruiter how frequently, you know, they should keep in contact. I think that's probably the best way to go. That's such helpful advice. And actually the key thing, the key message that's really coming through to me from our chat today is about candidates taking real ownership and being brave about Mm. asking those questions because actually it's going to help everybody in the long run because you get that clarity up front and I suppose just as with anything in life people are different so recruiters may have different ways that they want to work with you so thank you so much for sharing that if I can finish with one final question I wanted to ask you what you think is your top tip for HR candidates increasing their chances of actually securing their ideal job? Okay, top tip, just one. (laughs) Well, you can do more than one if you want. So I'm just going to quickly um, say something. I wrote a post recently, and I think it was why HR candidates don't always make the best interviewees. And it Mm -hmm. was a fairly controversial post. And I basically wrote two or three points, and I'll quickly run through them. So firstly, I think... um, 
you know, because HR candidates conduct loads of interviews, hundreds of interviews probably in, in their capacity in HR, interviewing other people joining the organisation, there might be a little bit of a complacency element around them now interviewing as candidates in the future. So I would say try and remove that if that exists at all and really practice and you know, focus on the things that you've achieved and practice how you talk about them and get your CV ready. So that's the first thing. The second thing is naturally HR candidates, I don't think are great at promoting themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically HR is there to support the rest of the organization uh, to help them flourish, to help them look good. You know, we know sales teams promote themselves, marketing teams, promote, and it's not always easy for HR to do that. So I think that kind of environment then it can be quite hard for some candidates to come from that environment and then go into an interview situation where they're now promoting themselves and talking about the great things that they've done. Often it's we and we supported. And so I think it's kind of just trying to reverse that a little bit and think about all the great things that you've done in your job and, and, and being proud of them and how you articulate that to future employees. So I'll probably just stick with those two for now. Yeah, that's great. Help. I'll have um, to look up your post. I haven't spotted that one. I've not been quite as active on LinkedIn, LinkedIn over the no last worries. couple of months. I need to get back on there more regularly, I think. But they're great tips. And I think they apply to so many people outside of HR as well. As far as interview coaching is concerned, I've always offered that service. But this year, it seems to have completely taken off. I've had so many more people booking in than ever before. And the vast majority of them are people who are experienced at interviewing themselves and so they will often say oh, I'm so frustrated Faye I should know how to answer these questions I ask them day in day out but of course that's not the case just because you're the person asking the questions mm. it is really important I completely agree with you to actually set aside that time to think about how could I be answering these and using the star technique and and doing that pre-planning so mm. Yes, I can imagine that it does impact HR, particularly because they we really are, well, I suppose I'm not we anymore because I don't technically work in HR anymore. But yeah, HR normally are the key people who are doing so much interviewing. So they're great points. I can imagine it being a controversial post. I'll definitely take a look. <laughs> Go for it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> I will. And I'm going to spring this on you slightly. I had meant to tell you when we were chatting before I started recording, but I thought it might be a nice touch if at the end of each interview, I ask for a book recommendation, because obviously I'm quite a bookworm. I've always got a pile of books next to my desk okay. and I often get one. Well, not next to my desk. There's some next to my desk and lots next to my bed as well. It drives my husband mad that we've got this towering pile of books there. And so I'm often asked, or I often like to be able to give book recommendations to my clients as well. I thought while I'm doing this podcast, I have all these fabulous people who have all their own fabulous recommendations. So it would be great to hear what your top non-fiction book recommendation would be. Okay, I am just looking at my bookshelf as you speak, and I'm talking really slowly to give myself a little <laughs> bit of extra time to choose which book I'm going to go with. I thought um, you might. What, look, I'm going to give a, a book that most people probably haven't heard of. It's called Good Authority by Jonathan Raymond. And I use it quite a lot in my coaching. There's a really good um, framework for how leaders can apply a more coaching orientated approach to their teams. And what's quite cool about the framework is that 
it kind of gives five levels of sort of the first three are kind of coaching levels like you know you, you'd only I can't remember what they're, I think yeah it's actually called the first one's called the mention where perhaps you are you know working with somebody who has high skill high will they want autonomy they don't need to be micromanaged in any way whatsoever they just need to be given like the odd kind of how's it going all okay etc the, the second one is for people that might need a little bit more support than that which is called the invitation and then the third is is really somebody that might need a reasonable amount of support but they still want to be coached to some extent and, and that's the conversation and then the fourth and fifth are, are perhaps where the coaching approach isn't working so the boundary is where you know you need to perhaps be a little bit clearer a little bit sterner in terms of what's required and then the fifth one I believe for memory is the limit where you know everything's been tried and it's not working so you need to have that real sort of conversation like such as is this the best place for you are you enjoying what you're doing you know what else can we do for you etc so that's just off the top of my head um, but I think that's a good book to check out if um, you're looking to integrate uh, more of a coaching approach to how you lead your teams. That sounds brilliant. It's not one I've heard of before. So I'm definitely going to be adding that to my towering pile of books. Thank you so much for the recommendation. And as far as anyone listening to this episode is concerned, if they would like to get in touch with you or find out more about you and your work, what is the best way of them doing that? Yeah, so um, our website is thetenantplace.co.uk. And my email address is tansel, T-A-N-S-E-L, at thetenantplace.co.uk. So give us a shout and happy to hear from you. And obviously you are very active on LinkedIn as well. So presumably they can track you down there. Absolutely. Yeah, please do. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tansel. Thank you for having me, Faye. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the HR Coffee Time podcast. If you did enjoy it, please do rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That would be wonderful. And if you do go ahead and rate and review it, please let me know so that I can say thank you. You can always reach me at faye at brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. Thanks so much and bye for now.